This is the Let's Get Real Estate Show with your host, Danielle Chason. Full-time investor, strategic consultant, motivational coach, sought-after speaker, and host of your number one real estate investing show, Let's Get Real Estate, where real people are doing real estate. Hey, Edna, thank you so much for jumping on our podcast today and uh, sharing your most precious time with us. I am excited to have you on. So I just um, wanted to go through real quick about who you are and what you do for the for the audience so that they understand who we're talking to today. Uh, you were a former certified financial planner, which I love because you understand what it takes to invest in money right at the fundamental level, not just, you know, investing in real estate and buying properties and gaining that cash flow, but you actually understand at a much deeper level. And, um, and you, so you got into real estate, you let that go. You got into real estate in 2007, started investing, acquiring, growing your portfolio. And then in 2014, you became a real estate coach. And that's how you and I have connected since then. Um, I know you're big on mindset, big on investing on in yourself. Um, you do some Canadian and now some U.S. investing, which I'm all over that. I'd love to hear what you're doing in the U.S. as well. Um, yeah. So if, sure. you know, the one thing that I wanted to know about you, Edna, is that I heard that you had, um, you, you come from really humble beginnings and you started with, um, like, you, I guess you started off really I don't want to say rough. Maybe you can put it in a context for me, but you had your daughter at 16. Is that right? Yes, I did. Yeah, my first daughter. So how do you go from being a teen mom, a teen mom into a multi-million dollar investor? You know, I think she was probably one of my driving factors because um, when you become pregnant at the age of 16, uh, there just seems to be a lack of respect for you at that age. You know what I mean? Or that's what I felt anyway. And uh, so, so my biggest thing was fighting to get back that respect. And uh, I think I still do that to a certain extent. And, and, you know, the other thing is I think a lot of times we do stuff for other people that we wouldn't necessarily do for ourselves. And uh, I just didn't want to have a crappy life for her. I wanted to have a really good life and I didn't want to, she, she was in subsidized daycare when we were, when I was uh, initially working at a high school and, and we lived in subsidized housing and I wanted more. I wanted a lot more actually. And uh, so, yeah, I started working on myself and started to understand stuff. I was never at the luxury where I could um, not work and just study, like go to university or anything like that. I didn't have that luxury. So uh, everything that I've learned has always been on the side, on the side, on the side. I'm learning this. I'm learning that. Would you say you learn mostly by doing uh, yes. And through coaching, you know, coaching is big for me because I, I got my first coach in 99 uh, when I was still a financial advisor. And uh, I've never been without one since because I always find that um, your coach, because I, I tend to hire ones who've already been there, done that, what I'm trying to do. And uh, so I, I always hire coaches and they, they just short uh, cut my learning for me. I don't have to, you know, listen to a thousand videos and, and read a thousand books or, you know, words and stuff. It's like, I have a question. There's my answer. I have a question. There's my answer. Like not, next steps thing. You know, what would you do next? If this is where I am. What's, what's my next step? Okay. This is your next step. Not trying to figure all that stuff out, you know? And now you're giving back by being a coach yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, I know what a huge difference it's made for me. Uh, and, you know, that that was just kind of uh, kind of organic, organically went that way. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
Um, so today we wanted to talk about specifically growing your portfolio because yourself, you have, you have over 600, um, pro- 600 doors, excuse me. And, um, that's, that's a lot of doors to have my friend and over 500 in Canada. You've got another, um, aggressively 178 in the States under contract right now, I heard. And, uh, congrats for that. And uh, you're also doing new development too, right? You've got an 18 unit that you're developing right now? Yeah, 18 unit we're working on right now, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. That is is wonderful. Mm -hmm. So um, what challenges do you see growing your portfolio to over 600 doors? Like that's not, like a lot of investors that I know, you know, they buy a house, they buy two houses and then they kind of, they, they hit a wall. What problems do you see with with your students uh, when they're trying to grow their portfolio? Well, most of the time when people come to me, Danielle, they've already owned, owned two or three properties. They know that real estate is something that they want to expand on, but they're stuck and they get stuck at a few different spots. One is the ability to be able to get mortgages on their own. I know with us, uh, we, we were lucky. We had really high incomes and we were able to get to 15 doors before we got cut off. But everybody gets cut off at one point or another when you're doing single family homes because um, they look at you as a person that has to be the ability to pay the, pay the mortgage if uh, the building happens to become vacant. So the ability to get mortgages is a big one. And then even your own capital, you know, like we started out using the equity out of our home. Uh, but after, even though our house had doubled in value in a course over a course of a few years of owning it, uh, that still was limiting. That was like 200,000 we had to start working with. And we knew after two or three properties that we were, you know, going to be dead in the water if we didn't learn how to raise capital. So our third deal we did using investor capital when we haven't looked back. We've been able to help a lot of people make a lot of money in real estate and uh, and and grow it our, ourselves at the same time. So one of the ways that you were able to continue to grow your portfolio, then what I'm hearing you say is using investor capital. So in what ways would you use investor capital? Would you use them as, um, would you bring them in as partners or would you bring them in as investors? Could you elaborate? Well, we've done both. We've done um, most of our bigger stuff. We brought people in just as joint venture partners, but we've bought land uh, land, and we've bought buildings to straight out with uh, other people's RSP money even. Um, you know, so there's there's many way, j- different ways of doing that. And we've done a lot of vendor financing as well. Um, and those are just some other ways that we've been able to find and use other people's money. Can you talk a little bit more about that vendor financing? Um, just for the listeners, for the audience, if they're not sure uh, what that means or, or how that's structured, could you explain that a little bit? Sure. Vendor, a vendor is the seller. So it's seller financing. And how I like to explain it is, you know what? Uh, People who own real estate are already predisposed investors into real estate. There's a reason they went into real estate in the first place. They already don't like the stock market and they're not happy with term deposit returns, you know. And uh, so, you know, if I mean, if they're going on to build, um, you know, build their portfolio and they need the money out of this sale to advance, then, you know, they're not a they're probably not a good investor for you. 
unless they understand that sometimes they can get a higher price if they leave some money into the deal. Um, but really being able to, uh, you know, help those people into retirement as well. Because, you know, if, if you ask somebody, well, what are you going to do after, after you sell this building? Oh, I'm retiring. Well, boom, right away. Uh, well, maybe not right away. But it's in the back of my mind going, okay, this person's a great um, candidate for vendor financing. And then uh, and then we come up with the terms when we make the offer on it eventually. Um, so the, I, I just consider them predisposed investors. They already know, like, and, and, and invested in real estate for many, many years. So they're a great candidate to stay on with you. Well, that makes complete sense, Edna. I mean, they've obviously made their money in real estate. So it's an investment vehicle that they're already comfortable in. So that completely yeah. makes sense. So do you um, so do you first is there a way to find out if there's any equity, like if they're how much cash back that they're going to be getting, uh, whether or not it would be something that's doable? If, is there a way to find that out? Yeah, you can look it up because you can figure out what uh, what the debt is just by going to ICI or in, in Saskatchewan, it's called ICI, ICI, where you look up what the title is and if they have a mortgage on it. Um, but we usually just ask, you know, you, you know, how long have you owned the building? Right. Uh, yeah, and we might, you know, even skirt it a little bit. How long do you own the building? Uh, is it paid for? Uh, have you ever refinanced it? You know, different stuff like that, because that gives you a really good idea of uh, of what's available. So just asking them, that's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just straight out asking. Having that conversation with them for sure. So um, so that's with the vendor financing. What about your, you said sometimes you bring people in as a capital partner and sometimes you bring them as, uh, a, you know, um, a lender. Is there a way that you define which deals you do what? Is there is there a criteria or some sort of structure that you follow? Mm -hmm. You know, when we were starting and, and most of my students are the same way, you don't have such a huge net worth that you can qualify for every mortgage either, you know, in, in, in multifamily, because even though they look at it different and it's uh, based on income and expenses of the building, they will work, look at your net worth. So say, for example, if you're buying a million dollar building, they'll want to know that your you and your investor partners are worth at least 250,000. Now, in that case, 25% down, um, you're going to need that of most property anyway so you know uh, between your investors if you have to raise 250,000 to buy the building there's your there's your uh, net worth that that you and your investors qualify for the mortgage um, we've always liked it that way because if you're if you're paying straight interest um, it, it can get very expensive uh, and 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 or um, Oh, you always have to have a first mortgage and a second mortgage, different stuff like that. But if you're using investor capital, they're on title and mortgage with you. So they're, they're the owners, like they're the owners. They qualify for the mortgage. They, they have their share of the profits and losses and stuff like that. And it does help you be able to qualify again and again and again for uh, more and more mortgages as well. That's awesome. So I guess it just depends on the deal and where you are and what your needs are really. Um, what about, you know, I have a lot of students that just buy their first building outright uh, on their own. You know, they'll get uh, as much financing as they can from the traditional multifamily lenders, but they've got maybe enough equity in their own home or cash that they've built up that they can buy their first, sometimes even their second deal on their own. Uh, but it's then then deciding after that how much they want to scale if they need to bring investors into the deal. Now, is there a problem with the banks? Because I know the banks are tightening up now. And uh, they're getting a little bit more stringent and using the using the capital, the, the equity that you have in your home, 
it cannot be a negative. Is there, are most banks open to that or are they starting to tighten up? You know, when it comes to single family homes, they tighten it up really hard, like very tough. There's, there's even people who should have been able to qualify to purchase their own home, no problem in the last two years. And they're not being able to get even their own mortgage, let alone finance money out to, uh, to, to purchase a rental property. So very, very tough. But once you get to a higher level, um, then yeah, they, we, we've used it many, many times, home equity, line of credit for people to invest in real estate. Oh, that's great. Awesome. So you still use that. And then would you, would you then recommend to your students, like use what you have, get the investment in there, get the, um, the capital that you have in there and then refinance it out either by raising the capital with other partners or, um, you know, do you wait until um, you've got enough equity in the property and then finance it out? Because again, we're talking about growing your portfolio and maybe trying to fast track to get there. So how, how would you say is the best strategy? Mm-hmm. Well, you can do that. Um, but, you know, we use CMHC financing a lot for our buildings and they will finance up to 85% of your building. But new rules since COVID came out is they won't allow you to refinance the building to pay out your investors. So when you look at re- refinancing to pay out your investors, you got to look at conventional financing, 75% down and uh, and and leave so leaving 25% of your new value in the building. Um, and and they they will allow you to uh, refinance to renovate and fix up the building or or repair that sort of thing, but not just to pay out investors. So that's something that's fairly new. So when we're calculating when we refinance, we always calculate it at, at leaving twenty five percent of the value of inside the building, which is kind of nice for your cash flow too. Because you know there's been times in the past where we refinanced as much as we possibly could out in order to scale, but it really reduced our cash flow on that building. You know so. That's something a person has to be careful with. And that's why I work with each student to identify what their particular need is. Some people, it's 100% wealth building strategy. They don't need cash flow, already have enough cash flow. Uh, and others, it's like, no, I need cash flow. I need to get out of my you know, day-to-day job and, and get that cash flow built up really quickly. So everybody's different. But yes, we've had people um, buy their first building with their own money and then bring investors in after as well. So I love what you talked about right there as far as, because I think that's key. So I just want to sit with that for a moment um, because I think it's important for our listeners to understand that in order to determine the best strategy for you and how to invest using the resources you have, whether it's capital time or equity, um, to understand what your what your goal is. So if it's you're just building your portfolio mm-hmm. and you just want to build generational wealth, or if you need that cash flow because you're coming to the end of your retirement and you want to supplement that income, or maybe it's a little bit of both and it's a hybrid. You want a little bit of extra cash so that you can have a little bit of a, a better quality of life for now, say, and then, but you also want to do generational wealth. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important to know. And then that way, when you are looking at different properties to buy or strategies or markets, then I think you can reverse engineer better what direction you want to be going in. Would you say that's a, a good mm-hmm. um, 
a good strategy when you're first starting to scale, to really scale and grow your portfolio? So, uh, I was just going to say that my husband and I both had really high income, so we didn't need any more income. We would just lose it all the tax or majority of it. So our, our, we were most interested in the wealth building. So we took higher percentage ownerships in the building, but gave all the cash flow to the investors to get them paid out as soon as possible, thinking that when it's time for us to retire, then our cash flow is all going to cut in and, and, and we would be have the investors all paid out and then our 50% or so of cash flow would cut in. So that was the way we built out. Um, but now we're at the point where we've got that all covered. We don't need any more wealth building because we've got 600. So now lots of times we take lesser ownership in the buildings, but take the cash flow now as well. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So yeah, I think it's really important to know where you are and where you're going. I think um, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of my students come to me and they just got into the wrong investment strategy, given what time and resource they had. And, uh, you know, when, when you have a full time job, you shouldn't be flipping. And and uh, I have this one student. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yes. I had this one yep. student come to yep. me and helped her out of a pickle because of that very reason. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, people kind of get sold the opportunity a lot of times and and instead of thinking about what they need for themselves they just buy into somebody else's dream really and don't think about how that's going to fit for them and and so yeah that's a really really big part of it you you have to have your own vision and and you don't always know what it is we didn't know our vision when we first started out we didn't know if we wanted to be the investor or the active partner like we we really didn't know so we took the first year of of looking to really figure that out we still bought a few properties but we we focused on i think it was at the end of year two before we decided to focus on uh, multifamily well i think a lot of people learn the hard way because i think all of our first like all of my investor friends that have been doing it for a while you know we always look back on the first or second and go, if I'd have known then what I know now, I, you know, would have done it much differently, right? Um, maybe maybe yes. it's not giving yes. up as much. That's why a coach is so helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on that, yeah. I want to talk to you about that. So um, you do have a solution to offer your students when it comes to growing your portfolio and fast tracking it there. So I think um, you have a course, right? It's uh, 90 days to 5k. Is that right? Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I'm curious about that. Sure. Uh, The premise behind the course, you know what, that was our initial goal. Uh, If we could make 5,000 a month uh, from our real estate portfolio, well, that would just supplement what we were earning. And and we thought, well, that would be just bonus because we didn't have a pension plan other than what we were putting away for ourselves. So, and then in learning and talking to other people, it seems like a lot of people, if they could get that, those bases covered, like the everyday expenses, 5,000 a month, then they could really do what they wanted to do. So the premise there is in 90 days, you're going to know exactly what it's going to be taking for you to be making 5,000 a month. Uh, in in cash flow or passive income from your investments and that most of my students are doing it within six months to a year we we did it in 18 months but our first strategy was houses and we didn't move into multifamily till the end of uh, that 18 months and the we had 50 doors in 18 months and the last 24 was multifamily and that's when our eyes were really open like holy cow, it took us this long to get this and this long to get, you know, the last 24 units. So that's when we really decided to focus on the multifamily. That's wonderful. So I think we're going to put your link on a dedicated page about you, strictly about you. Um, And so that'll be in the chat below. And then I'm totally going to fix that right there. (laughs) 
Um, you also have a free ebook. Yes, I do. And well, I'll send you the link to that so you have it. But it's called A Guide to Becoming a Successful Real Estate Entrepreneur. Wonderful. And so I would, yeah, we'll definitely put that in our show notes as well as your bio, how to contact you so that people can get to know you a little bit better. I know that uh, what you have to offer is very valuable. I know we had you on our multifamily group call that I host every week and um, super valuable information that you bring to the table. Edna, always, always a pleasure having you. Now, before we go, though, do you have like a aha moment or some sort of ninja tip that you can offer to the audience something that they can take away from when it you know when it comes to growing their portfolio (laughs) yes absolutely do not take advice from somebody who has not done what you want to (laughs) do you know and i'm thinking you know even well-meaning people like your mom and dad that love you who go don't be stupid (laughs) or a or a broke uncle that says, oh, I know somebody who lost all their money in real estate, you know, stay away from the people who are not somebody you already admire. I mean, you can learn something from everybody. But the biggest thing is do not take advice from that broke uncle or that, you know, you know, you don't take marriage tips from somebody who's never successfully stayed in a marriage, you know, that sort of thing. And that that's the biggest thing. How long have you been married, Edna? 20 years. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that could be your next career move in, <laughs> in retirement. Well, I, I, and I didn't get married till I was 40. So I, I, uh, I kind of waited that out. <laughs> you're one of the smart ones, I think. So, um, so that's awesome. Yeah, no, you know what? You're absolutely right, though. Uh, one of my coaches, uh, same thing. He was so big on that. He's like, don't take advice from people who haven't done it. Um, or don't take advice from those who are more successful than you are. And I think that's a really, really key point because I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of events where I speak in front of the room at like RIA groups and stuff like that. And it's great that you're mm-hmm. talking with your peers and networking, but, um, and lean in on them. But at the end of the day, if you want to get some solid advice, you really need to maybe reach up a little higher. So you got your pluses and your minuses and your equals. And I think in the room, you're mostly surrounded by equals. But if you really want to go to the next level and get or get some solid advice, you really got to reach up to one of your pluses. And I think it's really important not to forget to, you know, put a hand down and pull one of your minuses up with you. So um, I absolutely love that. That's great advice. And so with that, Edna. We're going to sign off. Thank you very much, my friend, for being here and spending some of your valuable time with us. I certainly appreciated all the love to you and uh, stay safe during COVID. My absolute pleasure, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and congratulations on improving your education real estate. Please leave a review only if you felt we provided value as it would really help us if you would leave a five-star review so that we can help reach a broader audience. And don't forget to comment what you enjoyed and tell us what you are looking to learn more about. As always, thanks for your support and we'll see you on the next episode.